if I've got, I don't know, maybe five or 10 minutes and I want a quick release, you know the kind, I know the exact toy that'll do the trick. Or I know the exact friction and rhythm to deliver with my hands in order to do it too. But if I want to slow things way down for a totally different experience, when I'm not in a rush, when I can spend some true quality time with myself, there's some very specific accessories that I like to grab. Sometimes I blindfold myself or I dim the lights really low. Sometimes I use a feather up and down my arms while vibey music plays in the background. Sometimes I get as much of my body involved as I possibly can. I run my hands through my hair, down my face, and I let my fingers dance all over the surface of my skin. I put pressure on my inner thighs. I take my sweet time seducing myself before ever touching my genitals. And when I'm properly warmed up and efficiently lubed up, one of my favorite new bedroom accessories to reach for is the Oh My C from Ioba. I'm not sure what mechanism is in this thing, but the toy has a little nub that rotates at different speeds, so it mimics the sensation of being orally stimulated. It's nice, it's light, and it's quiet. Sometimes the sounds of my toys can actually take me out of my experience, so a softer, quieter toy is incredibly appreciated. I make sure to take deep breaths as I let the pleasure and sensation build, breathing it throughout my body, and when the time is just right, I pick up the speed of the rotation and I ride a full body wave of ecstasy. This is one of many acts of devotion I choose to regularly deliver to myself. And it's not about what my partner can or cannot give to me. It's about taking time to be with myself in my pleasure, doing anything and everything that feels good for me. If you're looking for a quiet, high-quality, beginner-friendly, super-cute vibe that doesn't actually vibe too hard, my personal recommendation is the Oh My See from Ioba. See the show notes for details and a discount. I'm Alexa, also known as That Sex Chick. And if you haven't guessed it by now, I love talking about sex. Not only talking about it, but I'm obsessed with helping you create an epic sex life while cultivating deeply fulfilling relationships. There's so much more to the conversation than just the act of sex itself, which is why I created this podcast. You can expect this show to be packed with resources, advice, experts, and everyday people talking about how they have created the best sex and love lives for them. If you are ready to take responsibility for your pleasure, then you are in the right place. Now, let's go talk sex, shall we? This is a Soulfire production. Joining me on the show today, I have Dr. Lex James. Dr. Lex is a sex educator and therapist who specializes in helping couples build and maintain long-lasting intimacy. She also helps other professionals infuse sex positivity and intersectionality into their work. She is a published author who wrote a much needed book for children called These Are My Eyes, This Is My Nose, This Is My Vulva, These Are My Toes. Today, we'll be diving deep into how to reduce conflict and sexual shame, as well as general couples intimacy along with black sexuality. This is truly a heartfelt show, y'all. And I thoroughly enjoyed getting to share this time and this space with Dr. Lex. Enjoy this episode of That Sex Chick. 
Dr. Lex, thank you so much for coming on to that sex podcast with me. Thanks I for love me. one one Lex to another Lex. I love that yes. so much. Um, I have to say, like I have, and I said this right before I hit record. I a little bit fangirl on the side where I'm like paying attention to nearly everything that you post. Um, I I love the conversations that you inspire, and I love I love the conversations. Admittedly, the ones that make me go within and really consider what you've said. And I really enjoy sharing your work. So um, I, I love what you bring. And I'm excited to take that and have an expanded conversation for my audience here. Um, because for a lot of people, what you bring to the table is very much a part of their journey to get to epic sex and deeply fulfilling relationships. So I would love to start this little journey that we're going to go on with um, you having some space to tell us about you and your journey into becoming a sex therapist. Oh my gosh. So one from one Lex to another, thank you so much for having me. It is talking about couples and connections and deepening them are one of my great passions. I am now in a very fulfilling and loving relationship and I want everybody to feel this way every single day, right? And it might not be all day, but at least for a couple of moments out of the day, I want everybody to have this. And that's my my life's mission. So way back when, uh, baby, baby Lex, before Dr. Lex knew that uh, she wanted to be a doctor and my pronouns are she, her doctor. And I wanted to go in obstetrics and then I wanted to go into affirming surgery for trans folks. That was my dream. And I also wanted to volunteer every year for Doctors uh, Beyond Borders or Doctors Without Borders and fix like vestigial tails and club feet and all of the things that just people carry around shame and stigma about. And then I realized I'd have to do plastic to do that. And in order to just give people things, I would need to do like nose jobs and boob jobs and really get people in a way that didn't say that they look like me, that wouldn't identify them as beautiful. And I had a problem with that. And I am a mom to two little ones who you now might hear a little bit of in the background. So that being said, I didn't want to contribute to a society where it called people who look like me ugly, who are black, who have wider noses, who have natural hair. And I really wanted to work on people inside out. And I was like, who does that? Therapist. Who still gets to work with shame around bodies and sexuality and positivity? Sex therapist. Became a sex therapist instead. So I think you got that. I wanted to help people mm-hmm. from inside out. I wanted to help heal them inside out. And therapy is the way to do that. Now, I come from a college degree with a background in physics and math. I took no psychology whatsoever because I took orgo, chem, uh, very math oriented. And I love math. And I went to grad school and I was like, why do I need to write a 10 page paper? I'm used to doing tests. 10 pages to say what? So I really had to reorient. And it's fun because I still see people that way. I see people's constellations in my mind who are shining bright and have untapped natural potential. 
but it's my job to figure out what connections they need to make, who needs to come closer, who needs to move a little bit further. And that's how I like to approach therapy to say like, you're your own system. You have your own energy. Who do we want to bring into the system and who makes the system stronger for you? So beautiful. Yes. I resonate with a lot of that. I went to college and thought that I was going to do something medically related. Um, well, I first started off with forensic biology and I was like, whoa, Whoa. this is when you say the physics and the organic chemistries and the calc and all of this stuff. Um, I, I, at some point went, how much money am I going to make if I get through all 52 years of school on the other side of this? <laughs> and then I was like, yeah. no hard pass. I don't know why I thought, you know, at 17, I can do anything. I can make it through all 52 years of school to have a $60,000 salary at the, you know, at the end of it. Yeah. Anyway, I backed away from it and uh, my life wound up unfolding a little bit differently. And then eventually it swung back around to sex coaching and having a brand and a business that is about um, helping people in this realm of their life. And so it all kind of made sense. And I feel like the almost $50,000 in student loan debt was worth it. But you know, I'm still working on my relationship with that. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, student loan. Yeah, it's Go a way. <laughs> it's a thing. You know what? I think that every day. Or like maybe today is the day that someone somewhere is just gonna like take a vacuum to it, a metaphorical technological vacuum, and then it's gone. So. Look, while we're hacking Zoom and doing Zoom bombs, I just need you to hack like Navient, Sally Mae. Yeah, you know. Just hack. Like you have the abilities. Prove to us you have the right, abilities. Right, right. It's time. You know, we've been waiting patiently and it's now time. Agreed. So I love that, that the story of like wanting to help people and then the inside out piece too. Um, so what are the, the typical, um, would you say patients or clients that you work with? What do they typically find you for? So I always say clients, um, it's just easier and a little bit shorter and not as medicalized as patients. Right. And I live here in St. Louis. So I run the Institute for Sexuality and Intimacy and my license is for St. Louis. I get to see wonderful Missourian residents and I see people for an array of things. I mostly see people of color. I mostly, I see queer folks and I mostly see couples. Most couples come to me before they're at their last leg before divorce, right? So before they're like, we're going to call it quits if this doesn't work. But they're saying, we're not connecting like we used to. And we aren't having as much sex as we would like, or sex has become painful. We just had a baby. We don't know what to do. Um, There's been an attachment injury, which is therapy words for an infidelity or an affair. And people that are really trying to figure out and recoup from something that's either harmed the relationship. And then I also see people like, we just want to check in or we want to explore. We're thinking about becoming polyamorous and we want to know how to do that in a healthy way. We're trying to figure out our parenting style even and what that looks like because we're just having some disagreements. I see all of those folks on a couple level. And then I see individuals who are working on trauma, anxiety, depression, um, being comfortable with their body and body esteem. And those are the folks that kind of come through my practice and they either stay for a short time or they stay for a while and we figure out what's working best for them. So good. It's a little bit different for me because I create programs that have a very specific underlying thing that we're going to navigate. And for you, it seems like, and for, and I've worked with therapists, you know, I have had a couple of therapy uh, clients who are therapists that wind up transitioning to do something different in the online space. And I find the work so fascinating. 
And from the outside, looking at because coaching and therapy, it can be very different things. Um, and for some people, it looks a lot like the same. But I admire, I'm like, wow, that is a big, that is a wide range of container holding that you can step in at any given time and say, I'm going to help you get through this. And yeah. um, when you mentioned that you see primarily Black folks and queer folks, what do you, what do you see as maybe some of their challenges or struggles or things that they're navigating that might be a little bit different to say white folks or people that quite frankly, I would be working with because generally speaking, the vast majority of people that find their way to me look just like me. And Mm -hmm. I am doing, I'm on the path to broadening that and creating a space where I have the opportunity to work with people who have just varying challenges to what I understand. And so I'm curious if, um, if you see something specific um, or something that's a little bit different to what I might be facing, you know, with my practice. Yeah, of course. So therapy still has a lot of stigma around it for black and brown folks, right? Because of the history of big words, medicalization of our bodies, right? So most folks know that black and brown bodies have been experimented on regarding the syphilis trials. Most people are starting to learn about the fact that um, the speculum was founded on using black women's bodies who were enslaved, right? By somebody who wasn't a doctor, who just said, like, I want to experiment on people and black people don't feel pain like white people do. So we're going to use black people. And it's still happening, right? So we found in the study in 2017, I think, that medical students and residents don't believe that Black bodies feel pain in the same amount as white bodies because of the melanin of our skin. So there's a trust level that says, I don't know if I go to a white doctor, if I go to a white coach, they're going to get it. And code switching is exhausting. The way that we're allowed to just be in space and not have to explain Black tax or not have to explain a colloquialism, right? And feeling comfortable. And also there's this idea that we have to keep family business in the family because it has historically been weaponized against us, whether that's weaponized against us in a court of law, whether that's weaponized against us in a medical treatment facility, whether that's weaponized against us in jobs, housing, banking, whatever it is. It's like, I don't know if I can trust you with my stuff. Right. And to also see me go completely pieces. That is one of the hardest and most rewarding parts of my work. I get to hold people as they go to pieces on the floor in my office or in their virtual bedrooms while we're in COVID and be there for them as they want to pull themselves back together, but giving them permission to say, like, this hurts and this is hard and you don't know what to do and you feel helpless, and that is absolutely where you're supposed to be right now. And that's okay. People don't have that space, specifically Black folks, because living in racist societies, in sexist societies, in sizist societies, xenophobic, um, all of the isms, right, is super hard. And then we're existing as people too. And so we're dealing with all of that. And so that's why people usually want to see somebody who looks like them because I get it. I'm a black person with natural hair who's fat, identifies pansexual, right? Right now I am able-bodied and that might shift, but we exist in a lot of these norms where I don't have to explain or have it explained to me 
what it's like to live under all of these different types of oppression at once. That was beautiful. <laughs> that was really beautiful. Yeah. And, um, and I, I consider it and like, yeah, of course that makes complete and total sense. And, um, and why wouldn't all of the varying types of people be experiencing life in general and then their relationship to their bodies and their relationship to their sex in very unique and different ways? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the people that come to you and they might wind up, they be falling apart on the floor, the virtual or the literal floor. <laughs> which I have been on the floor doing that myself as the patient, <laughs> as the client and as the space holder, <laughs> you way know, to work, way to work. Right. Well, because not only do you have all of these different things that could be impacting your existence, but you also have the trauma that comes with living your individual life. You know, the parents mm-hmm, that you have mm-hmm. and the people that you've slept with or been with and there's all the different experiences, mm-hmm. um, the, the life shit. So, yeah, I'm I'm curious like when when people come to you and they might have this whole array of stuff present and an underlying you know something that I see in your work a lot that I really appreciate is the work that you do around shame and like busting through shame. So when all that shows up, you know, what are some of the um the ways that you would help people navigate say through whatever they're going through or through shame specifically? Um that's something that, you know, for me I I love the work that I do and I help people with whatever they could feel shameful about regularly. Mm -hmm. And one of the words that I have eliminated from my vocabulary is should, because Mm -hmm. um, I've learned that under a should is shame. And so my mind has gotten very clever at masking and using different language instead of should, but it still has shame underneath it. And um, I, my partner and I, which we're very public about our relationship, but it's like, whatever we do, that we use to work on our relationship. We want to share it. Um, we have a relationship coach. And so it's like the coach also has the coach. You know, somebody hold me accountable. Yes. Please hold me accountable. And I show up for that time, energy, all of that money. And um, it's like anytime there's the should word, there's the shame coming, you know, in me in this instance, towards my partner. But in reality, I'm, mm. I wind up reversing it back onto myself mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I wind up feeling that. And so I'm very curious about this topic, specifically shame, and then how it relates to, you know, your work and how you navigate that with your clients. Oh my gosh. So like you, you worked with all sorts of people, right? And you notice when we start talking about sex, people start to whisper yeah. and I'm like, why, why are we whispering? Yeah. Right. It's, it's okay. But one, they've never gotten the permission They've never gotten the permission to talk about sex. They've never gotten the permission to feel pleasure in their body, right? And especially for Black and Brown folks, there's a level of hypersexualization. So since the onset of puberty, which for, again, Latin people, for Black folks can happen as early as eight, there is now you're sexually available. And so there's this huge push towards these respectability politics that you need to show that you're a presentable person to society by, um, as a Southerner, uh, you keep your pocketbook closed and off the floor. I don't know why you had to keep it off the floor. I think it has something <laughs> to do with luck, but it was weird, right? But the pocketbook was a euphemism for your vulva. And I was like, oh, okay, keep your legs closed, basically, because somehow this determines your work. And we know that that comes partly from just America's history with Black bodies, right? And how much Black bodies were worth especially if they could reproduce. 
and then reproduce strong offspring. So it's like, are we getting away from that? And then the shame comes in and saying, oh, well, I'm into this thing or I want to explore this thing, but does that make me a bad person? Like, am I dirty because of it? And it shows up in my office very much of saying like, well, that's horror behavior or that's, you know, that makes me feel dirty or that makes me feel bad. Or it could be really opposite of, well, I can't do this thing because then my lover thinks that I'm not good enough or that's not the behavior, quote unquote, of a wife. And I'm like, well, who decided to, who decided that? Like, is there another wife in your relationship I don't know about? Like, who who are the people that are determining these internalized rules that you've developed? And they're like, oh, where did I get these rules from? And in my own practice, so I work on a therapy model that I created that is an amalgamation of a couple of different practices that I love to use. And I'm mostly emotion focused. So I love that you're a thinking person. I care about how you feel. And I care about how that emotional thread goes through your body and through your life. And I really like contextual theory, which talks about balance. It talks about invisible loyalties. Like, who are you honoring with this? And that's where those should come in at. Like, why should you do this? What is owed? And how do we balance ledgers? So you're feeling like you're fulfilled too. And you're not just pouring out all of the time. And shame comes in when it's not just like, I'm a bad person, but people come up with, I'm unlovable. I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. I have to be perfect. And we call those self-fulfilling prophecies. The problem with the self-fulfilling prophecies is you set yourself up to make sure they're self-fulfilling prophecies. If you feel unlovable, you're going to set yourself up in a situation that is going to reflect that you were unlovable. It's like, oh... I didn't mean to do that. I'm like, "Uh uh-huh. But this was a simple mistake. It was a bobble. How do we give ourselves grace to move past this? And in my model, we talk about the repercussions of believing that you're unlovable and what situations have come up for you or where you've allowed yourself to be mistreated or not pursued something, right? Because you're quote unquote unlovable. And we talk about who's reinforced that for you. And we talk about what would you rather believe? And What are the beliefs of those folks who reinforce them? And what are some steps you can take to start to battle against this process for you? And that oftentimes is what we do to dismantle some of the shame along with psychoeducation, along with sexually education. We might do some bibliotherapy. We might say like, I want you to go home and watch this video or fill out this worksheet with your lover. I want you all to, to practice this type of touch right? And see just where pleasure falls for you and starting to allow themselves to open up gradually to to dismantle and get rid of that shame because we don't need it. It doesn't serve a good function. Mm, absolutely. I mean, it, it serves a function. Um, and probably I would imagine for some people, it served a really great function at some point in their life. And now that you're an adult and you want to experience pleasure and you want to do life your way, then, you know, it's not just going to be this thing that, oh, one day you wake up and shame's gone. You know, it's right, right. most people, I won't say all, but I mean all, but most, <laughs> most, it's something that you get to, you get to lean into, you get to work through. And for some people, they're going to find their way to someone like you to help guide them through it. 
you know, and there's this idea like, oh, I need to be able to suck it up and figure it out. Mm-hmm. Very thinking mm-hmm. thing and not not connect to heart, connect to body, soul, and that the spirit of the other person. And um, instead of like pushing, 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 it's like someone, you don't have to do it alone, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's really admirable to even invest in this uh, part of your life because, you know, a lot of people will prioritize all the other things in their life. Mm-hmm. But then at the mm-hmm. core of what is causing them, sh- you know, a struggle or challenges is their yeah. sex or their romantic partnerships or their lack of those things or mm-hmm. something to that effect. So, um, you know, when people find their way to you and I would ask, you know, like, personally as well, like how you navigate it in your own relationship, conflict, there mm-hmm. is conflict is, is good, you know, question mark. <laughs> <laughs> how can conflict be? viewed from the perspective of, oh, this is a good thing. And what would you say are some ways to maybe best navigate conflict? This is a question I get a lot on my Instagram. When I do my Ask Me Days on Thursdays, people oftentimes will say like, how do we navigate hard stuff? How do we navigate conflict? Oh my gosh. Oh, you're brave. I have yet to do an Ask Dr. Lex anything. Uh, I don't know. I don't think I'll do that. You're brave. Um, I'm going <laughs> to leave. I'm going to leave that to the, this version of Lex over here. Uh, so with with the shame piece serving folks, right? I'm wondering if shame actually served the individual or if it sh- served the people who were in control of the individual at the time, mm-hmm. right? We right. shame you to make you stop doing something to not embarrass us so you don't look like or whatever, whatever. And that gives us some stuff, but like what does that shame do for people? And then that conflict, because shame definitely comes up in this conflict and can be reinforced in conflict. I tell my couples, is this conflict a threat or is it an opportunity? If it's a threat, it is more than likely going to end up damaging your relationship. But if it's an opportunity and we can look at it as an opportunity, right? So I don't really agree with that. What do you mean? Tell me more. I see this as an opportunity to learn more about my lover. I see this as an opportunity to understand their perspective a little bit differently. So um, my partner and I are an anomaly. Honestly, we've been together for seven years. Um, we've had two disagreements in that time. And one of them was over a vacuum. And yes, I know it sounds dumb. It was a vacuum. And it wasn't anything underlying. So he pulled out the shark back and was vacuuming. And I was going to use it. And he handed me headphones. like. Um, ear covers. And I'm like, okay. So I put them down just like, maybe he wants me to hold them. And he's like, no, you need to put on the ear covers. And I looked at him like, what is a vacuum? I've been vacuuming for 30 plus years of my life without ear covers. Why would I put on ear covers? And he was like, we need to wear them. And I'm like, why? For what? It's a vacuum. And so he put his hands on his hips. He took a deep sigh and he walked away. And I'm like, all right, whatever. So now I have an attitude because I feel rejected. And I'm just like, I don't want, and I'm confused. So I'm just like, okay. But he came back a little bit later and he was like, I was frustrated because this vacuum works at higher decibels than other vacuums and can actually cause like loss in hearing over time. And I was like, well, boy, why didn't you say that? Didn't nobody know that the vacuum didn't work like that? Like, Thank you for trying to preserve my eardrums. I appreciate that. I like to hear things right now. You know, it's what I do for a living. So can you just let me know next time? 
And he was like, that was my bad. I wasn't being completely, you know, straightforward with information. So I got you. So that was years ago. Fast forward to, I think, two weeks ago, I was using the vacuum, the big one, and I had on my ear covering. And he was like, thank you for protecting your ears. You're welcome, lover. So that was an opportunity for us. And I'm like, we have an opportunity to learn more. But it could have turned into a threat, right? So if I would have been like, he walked away from me, he's rejecting me. If my own stuff would have popped up, like feeling unwanted or unlovable, all of that stuff can activate. And now I'm just like, well, you don't really want to be in this relationship, do you? Because you walked away from me. And it can easily go into something that's detrimentally and harmful for us. That's what I mean. Do you look at it as a threat or do you look at it as an opportunity? And the goal is, even in the hard shit, is to look at it as an opportunity. Absolutely. I wrote that down. I was like, <laughs> I got to put that on some kind of graphic. Quote, Dr. Les. There you go. I love that. And as I, as I even continue uh, showing up for the work and peeling back layer by layer by layer and doing my very best to uh, personally walk my talk, I feel that too with the whole conflict and navigating. There's these times where I'm like, wow, our con- our communication is on point. This is so good. We we are quick in and out. There's no more, there's no more four-hour processing, you know, uh-huh. or something like mm-hmm. that. Like we're we can just like, you good, you good. Okay. How's your nervous system? Okay. Need to breathe, need to reconnect. Like we we've got a whole <laughs> little deal now. And um very recently there's a whole nother layer that that's been peeled back and it's like, you know, there's there's the first, um, the first reaction is fuck an, another, another layer mm-hmm. to this. Like this story, I thought I've already dealt with this story. And then it's yeah. like, yes, kidding. I got more for you. <laughs> and the first thing is like, are you fucking kidding me? And the sex, the second to thing to that is this is what it feels like to be alive. This is mm-hmm. humaning. And very recently I've had another layer peeled back. And, and that's through our work with um, our coach and therapist. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's now, okay, so now we're making space for the, the thing that's coming up a lot now is sadness. You know, growing up for me personally, it's been growing up, layer anger or aggression or direction or directiveness or all of these other more admirable things mm-hmm, from mm-hmm. childhood, like, layer that on top of the sadness. And so now it's like, what if we, what if we create some space for all that sadness Yeah, that, that you don't, you know, for me, it was like, I don't really have a story for all of the sadness, but I've put stuff on top of it. And so now what is mm-hmm. that stuff and where is it connected and all of that? And so there's these moments where I'm like giving myself this space. I've agreed, don't go to angering, don't go to aggression or like my fuse or my uh, energy pouring out of me. Um, yeah. and, to and towards my partner and all of that. And he is expanding his capacity to hold the space. It's like, what is a great space? What is, what, what does it mean to be a great space holder? And so yeah. there's parts in our day. Most of our day is like, I'm so in love with you. I want to eat your face. And then there's a couple <laughs> of times of the day where I'm like, I don't know. And I hate it all. And yeah. I try not to anger at you. And so by not angering at you, oh, what's right underneath it are tears with no story. Mm-hmm. And I'm afraid mm-hmm. that if I show you this, it's going to be not worth your love or your time or your attention or your affection. And you're going to yeah. leave because this means that you can't. And there's like this whole story of stuff that's coming up. And exactly what you said is in the moment, there is a choice 
where I could throw my ego and I can put, I can interweave my pride into that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm not, I don't want this. I don't want these feelings and you're the cause of them. Or Mm -hmm. I can go, Oh, this is an opportunity because even though I have all those stories, every time, as soon as we move through it, maybe even towards the middle of it and then towards the ends of whatever that little kind of big energy, I wouldn't even necessarily call it conflict, but there's big energy present, both nervous systems. And he goes, I love you for this. And thank you for letting me, letting me be there for you. I am realizing it every time that, oh, this is what gets us closer to the, my version of the Holy Grail in relationships. And Mm. so to the degree that I can lean into maybe what that shame was, or maybe what the sadness is, or just what's whatever's under the surface. And for him too, to the degree that I can surrender to it, which is really not easy, even though, you know, like in the world then I can see, oh, this is the degree of the love that I get to have Mm -hmm. and the relationship that I desire the most. So I love hearing you say that and affirm the fuck out of me. (laughs) Why you do that? That's intimacy. That's it. That's intimacy. So when you were talking about layering stuff on top of it, it's funny. Um, I have all my couples do an anger iceberg, right? So the thing about the iceberg is 10% of it is what you see above the waterline and 90% of it is underneath. So I liken that to, ironically enough, a campfire. So anger is a fire, right? And fire gets people away from you. It can hurt you. It burns hot, right? You might even feel that in your body. You feel the heat um, and you want to push people away. But the feelings, right, are what fuels the fire. So you can be raging. And what is it? I'm feeling unheard. I'm feeling disrespected. I'm feeling unloved. I'm feeling disconnected. I'm feeling rejected. I'm feeling unloved and like horny and I need attention, right? So all of that other stuff that you feel, and remember we talked about that emotional thread that gets thrummed throughout your body. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, this is from when I was eight and 17 and 23 and 25. And now we're here. So you have to lower that waterline for vulnerability. So you show people your anger, they feel the fire. But that 90% is all that other stuff that goes into it. I'm saying like, will you love me through my sadness? Will you love me to see that I'm really an effing mess and I'm really messy? Like, I actually don't want to shower every day. Will you love me if, if you see this part of me? Will you love me if you see that I'm a glutton? And I will eat all of these burgers and all of these fries. And I am not going to work out. Like, will you still love me? Right? That's vulnerability. That's that taking a risk of showing somebody your internal processing and them accepting it. Like your lover took the ball and was like, look at this gift you're giving me. You're showing me who you are, those inner soft parts. And I don't want to hurt them. I don't want to trample on them. I don't necessarily need to fix them. I just want to be here to show you that I see you and I'm here for you. That's intimacy. That is the goal. So yes. Yes, 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 all of it. Absolutely. And I and I love that you you did the recap there, which is beautiful. And that that is intimacy, like because that's literally what brings people closer together. And I think that for some people when they either find my find their way to me or maybe find their way to you or somebody who like works in this field, they're like, "Oh, I just want better intimacy." And what they want is they want more touch and they want more quality time and they want more of some of the stuff and like, "I don't know, are you ready?" Cuz like I 
am, I know what you want and I'm about to give you what you need. And I just want to make sure that we're, we're good for this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I get, I get, we need help with communication. And I'm like, but you understood what he just said. Right. And you, you, you do need help with communication because it's not that you don't understand each other. You understand that he's pissed off or you understand that her feelings are hurt. You're not being vulnerable with another. Like her feelings are hurt and you feel like trash and you feel not good enough for her. And you feel like you cannot show up for her when she is hurting. That's the piece you're not communicating. You feel helpless. That's what you're not telling her. Instead, it's, well, you know what to do. You're going to be okay. I'm going to go make us a sandwich. And it's like, Yes, and not exactly what's needed in that moment because you're running, you're avoiding because you feel helpless and you need to try and fix feeling helpless instead of just being there. So yes, I'm like, I don't know if it's communication, but okay, let's start there. Let's start there and and let's go a little bit deeper and do this differently because I need you all to communicate in that vulnerability. Absolutely. I I have a a really amazing friend of mine that... um, I talk to her every now and then, you know, about my subject matter, which I, I choose my friends based on, well, I choose my friends. Part of it is I want friends who want me first and the sex coach in me second or third, or maybe like way. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, I need, I need you to be good. And that way we can connect on another level. And so I, I, I have grown to like really appreciate the conversations that I get to have with my friends now about their intimate lives and stuff. Cause I really think that to the degree that my friends are like, how good their sex lives are determines mm-hmm. how great our friendship gets to be like their relationship <laughs> to each other and their relationship to their sex. That means like I get a great friend. Like you're not sexually frustrated, oh you feel expressed, all of that. Yeah. You know, like you're more available. Like, I, I don't know. Uh, adult friendships have been hard for me. Um, so I still have like my best friend from fifth grade. I have my, my close friends from college. Uh, just navigating adult friendships has been difficult for me in, in vulnerability and folks feeling intimidated. And I'm like, and like I went on a date with this woman once and she was like, I was so intimidated. And I'm like, why? I just wanted to go on a date and like eat macaroni bites or something. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I'm, I'm excited about that for you because it actually gives me something to think about uh, in regards to like abundance and not having competitors and things like that and not doing the work in my friendship. Like yeah. I, I don't, well, first of all, I can't do that because I'm already biased and like, I still fight. So I'm gonna fight them. And that's just gonna have to be what it is. I have a bail fund. It's fine. Or, <laughs> or like we can just exist, right? And a, a respite and conduit where I can dump my stuff. You can dump your stuff and we're not trying to solve anything. It's just today we're venting. So like I have yeah. very few like new adult friends in life right now. And it's, great because I still keep a very small circle, but it's also like, I don't know if I can be a friend with you or not. What do you want from me? Yeah. Which is a whole new, new gambit. I have never had to navigate that. I've always been the socially awkward, weird kid that people didn't really like. So I was very smart. Teachers love me. Students, not so much. So I'm just like, mm, stick to myself. Mm-hmm. I'm good. Let's read a lot of books, all of the books. And we're going to just be over here. And, you know, if people want to interact with me, they can. But I was not that person. So mm. this is all new. 
like the yeah. fangirl in you. I was like, what? Me? I'm yeah. Like, oh, I mean, that's, you know, 2020, like meeting and connecting with people online. Like you get to be what I perceive you. You get to be my projection. You know what I mean? And like, it's really great. And then you show up with this amazing lipstick, which those of you who are listening, you can't see, you know. Oh, it's in all my pictures. It's purple. Uh, it's the lip bar. I think it's called Crown, Crown Me or something like that. So it reminds you of like your royalty mm-hmm. if you want to wear it. So, there yeah. you go. And it's like a purpley color. So like the crown chakra. So I can like interweave. There's a couple of reasons. I'm sure it might be called crown. crown chakra. But Come you know, on. you know, just divinity on our lips. No big deal. Uh, so <laughs> I also challenge myself in friendships, by the way, I challenge myself not to um, have close friendships or like go. I, I chose not to have that um, be the, a way to connect because it challenged me to rely on me and not my gifts or my expertise or my knowledge. And that was also mm-hmm. a big challenge. And it was like, Oh, I have, I get to prove my value and my personality, mm-hmm. not based on how I can help you with what you yeah. have going on. And I challenged myself not to go and like, sneak, you know, try and figure out what they could need help with so that I could prove my value. I like didn't want that in friendship. It work. Yeah, it was, it was um, scary as fuck, I'll say. Like when I first got started, cause like my, my friendships now are within uh, two years of being mm-hmm. forged. And, and we moved to, you know, my partner and I moved to Austin from New Orleans uh, because of community. That was like a big piece. Mm-hmm. Of Before we start bringing little humans into this world, let's be in a location that we both are saying yes to. Um, yeah. It was easy to move dogs. Not gonna be so easy if they were like little tiny human creatures. So, and I don't think Smart. I could have moved tiny human creatures away from my mother. Um, <laughs> so, you know, we went and we came to Austin, like knowing that that was like a big piece of this cultivating those, um, cultivating those friendships. And I would have rather just like date all over again. Like dating was a piece of cake. The times where I was like, mm-hmm. oh my god, dating so hard, and this, that, and the other, and there's just not what I want out there. Try adult friendships that that's <laughs> yes. like, that yes. is harder yes i oh my god a hundred percent my my adult friendships have come very purposefully right so building one of my closest friends i live in st louis i'm from georgia um atlanta specifically college park if you've ever heard a rap song and <laughs> any um, right my lover and i moved here for his work so we don't, we don't have a community here. And we have two littles. I call them hate nest babies, um, haves for short. And we, I really had to purposely build the community. So black moms was really important to me. I was a nursing parent for almost three years total. My goodness. Um, yeah, yeah. Welcome to that. If you, if you want to feed your child that way. Um, far, far future. It's a perpetual uh, three-year plan. Every there you go. Bye. It's still in three years. There you go. I like it. Also, just remember, like your chances for twins goes up after a certain age. Um, <laughs> so yeah, and I was like, we need community because nobody's supposed to parent alone. And what does that look like? So I was able to find some breast friends, right? And so they're my the nursing friend collective, and I have a couple of therapist friends who were all therapists. We're all in our own lane. A couple of us are sex therapists. And, and those are, those are my people. Like those are my people here in St. Louis, because I think for the first time ever, I just booked a room at the Ritz. Um, and I'm super excited. It will be the first time in three and a half years 
that me and my lover are actually like alone together without our kids. Mm -hmm. It'll be the first time ever that both of us are in the same place without our children. We found somebody who we feel safe and who can take care of our kids because we have no family here. There's no aunts, uncles, cousins, brothers, sisters, grandparents here at all for us. So we purposely had to build that community. Yeah. Yes. And everything that we're talking about now, I I believe that these are um, these relationships that you wind up getting vulnerable with, creating intimacy with these people. Mm-hmm. This then trickles and funnels back into, um, I would say your your romantic relationship, sure, but your relationship with yourself and your self-esteem. So all of the things that we're talking about, while it might not seem like, oh, they're not really talking about sex anymore right now, or they're not talking about, you know, but this goes, this factors into having deeply fulfilling relationships of all kinds. It's like of all kinds. Is first off determining that like you want to have this in your life. You want to have like a really awesome romantic partnership and you're willing to be vulnerable and go there in air quotes. And then also you want to be really vulnerable and go there with friends too. And kind mm-hmm. of, um, I say swinging it back around to what one of my really amazing friends said was how many conversations, like if, if he were to say infidelity, something like mm-hmm. that. Her response is like, how many conversations did we miss having? Like how many conversations did we not have in order for that to happen? Where there was some kind of lying or cheating or stealing or some big thing. Like how many conversations did we not have in order to have that happen? And Mm -hmm. I've never had Mm -hmm. anybody say it that way before. And I was like, damn, you're, you're right. So like when you say like communication, that communication piece and all of this, it's communication, yes, and conversations at all. Because some people right. live around themselves, like they live with people and they just navigate life and, uh, and have whatever necessary conversation they need to have in order to get to the next day instead of the mm-hmm. deep conversations that are required in order to forge that intimacy. Agreed. Agreed. 100% agreed. Yes. Well, Dr. Lex, I know our time is almost up and we had, you know, I had a little set of questions and we got to a handful of them, but like the conversation unfolded the way that felt (laughs) really natural. And so I'm really excited about that. I'm so happy with that. But I want to leave like the last couple of minutes, like is there a message that you would like to (sighs) leave the audience with or a topic that you feel so passionate about that like maybe we didn't dig too deep into that you would like to share with uh, the listeners of that sex podcast? Uh, So I think, I think we kind of glossed over like my, my big things, right? That is we got to get rid of our sexual shame. Uh, It doesn't behoove you. You should be having pleasure, right? There's that should word. You deserve pleasure there you in go. <laughs> all of it, all of the things. I want people to be sexually liberated, which means to get to pleasure without those obstacles in front of them. Whether you're in your head too much, whether you're out of your body, whether you're just not enjoying the sexual interactions that you're having. And just to be clear, like maybe for Lex too, I'm gonna take a take a step here and say maybe um, that Lexel agrees that sex isn't just penetrative stuff that we're talking about, right? It is those other forms of pleasure. And it's not always orgasm-centered. There are so many different ways that bodies feel orgasm. It's really just how do you get your body to feel good? And it's your job to take care of that pleasure. It is not your lover's job to take care of that pleasure. It's your lover's job to help you when you want them to and to ask for help. But it's your job to facilitate that pleasure for yourself. And ideally, 
pleasure begets pleasure, arousal begets arousal. And so you're going to be able to spend that time arousing each other, getting pleasure from one another and sharing in that together to make that experience all that better. And this can happen if it's a quickie. It can happen if it's a long makeout session, if it's just a quick finger bang. Like it can happen if you're just getting ogled when you get out the shower and you're like, oh yeah, uh, that that that's sexy. I like it. I like it. Your lover just came in from being all sweaty. You're like, oh, you smell good. We can do this, right? So taking those moments and pleasure for all of the sensuality that exists, I think is something I want to remind folks with that it carries with you all the time. Fuck yeah, amazing. And I don't even know the last time I've heard anyone use the word finger bang. <laughs> that's awesome. I love lost it so art, much. man. It's a lost art. <laughs> it really is. It really. I mean, I don't know if you can see behind me. I have, a, I have shelves and shelves. I have sex toys and all the things that have taken the place of a really good finger bang. So <laughs> amazing, Dr. Lax. If people want to um, learn more about you, follow you, get to experience you, is the best place. Instagram, is there anybody anywhere else that you would like for them to find you? Sure. No, Instagram works. I'm Lex, L-E-X-X, sex, S-E-X, doc, D-O-C on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, uh, if you want. And the Institute for Sexuality and Intimacy, it's still at lexsexdoc.com. And you can usually see any of my upcoming events and things like that on my actual website too. So good. Thank you so much for sharing your time, your energy, and though they can't see it, you're a beautiful aesthetic. Thank you. <laughs> with all of, with myself, I'll just say myself. And then of course, all of my listeners. Thanks again, Dr. Lex. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to today's show. If you loved it, be sure to subscribe so you never miss a new episode. And if you extra, extra loved it, make sure to leave a five-star review. I'll see y'all next week.